you'll take your Bibles and turn with me to the first chapter of the Gospel of John. As most of you know, we ran out of Colossians. <laughs> so we're going to begin a study in the Gospel of John. I'm going to read to you the first 14 verses of chapter 1, John chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness, to bear witness to the light that all through him might believe. He was not the light, but he was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him and the world did not know him. It, he came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him to them, he gave the right to become the children of God to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, not of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. May God's Word challenge our hearts. Let's go to prayer before we look into God's Word. God, the Holy Spirit, I come to you with a recognition that everything that is said must be said through you, by you, and for the glory of the triune God. And I pray that you will help me in my words, that I might speak only that which honors you. And for each person sitting here today, I pray that the Spirit of God might open their hearts and minds, and together we might understand that the word of my lips and the meditations of our hearts might be acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength and our Redeemer. And we praise you and thank you for your help and presence in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to do basically an introduction to the Gospel of John today. Uh, uh, and let me warn you, what I'm going to do is going to be pretty technical. So we're going to be going through some technical things in this because I think it's important for us to understand John 
and his writing and his purposes before we get into the Gospel of John. And so uh, we'll probably just get through the first three verses this morning, but uh, uh, we, we will look first of all at what I call the date of the writing. When did John write his Gospel? And most conservative scholars would agree that it was sometime between 60 and 90 A.D., and most of them agree that it was in the 80s. So it was written much later than the other Gospels because before three Gospels were written probably by 35 A.D., and uh, so when John wrote his gospel, you will note as we go through, it is written in a totally different style, which is John's style. And it is written in, for a different purpose than the first three gospels. If you look at the first three gospels, you will see that basically what they are is a historical account of the Jesus Christ from his incarnation to his glorification. And each used different uh, things in his life with a different purpose to make that clear. And then when you look at Paul's writings, they were probably completed in 45 AD. Uh, because he probably died around between 45 and 50 A.D. So uh, they, they were completed by then. And uh, it's, it's very important to understand that John wrote his gospel 40 years after Paul finished. And therefore, his purpose is different uh, catch this, different and the same as Paul's in some senses. And I think it's important for us to understand that. Now, <clears throat> uh, the question is, why is it important to understand John's purpose in writing his epistle? Why is that important? First, because... We see in Paul's epistles, he's correcting errors that are coming and that are affecting the church. And what John is doing, basically in his epistle, is the same thing. He is writing an epistle to correct and protect the church because of false teachings that are coming in. And so it's important for us to understand, and we'll look more carefully at that in a moment, <clears throat> at John's purpose. Uh, and uh, just stop and think. When Paul wrote his epistles, he was already dealing with uh, false teachings and false issues. And John wrote 40 years later, so John was dealing with issues that had grown and were beginning to affect the life and the beliefs of the church. And so he, especially regarding the person of Jesus Christ. And so that's what he is doing in his epistle. 
I thought just to help us a little bit in understanding what's going on here uh, in the time of the Apostle John, I would just look at three of our modern cults and point out how they relate to the false teaching that was going on in the time of John already. And so, as, as Solomon says, there's nothing new under the sun. Uh, we have the same thing going on, only it's different terms, different names, but it's the same false doctrine. And we have to understand that. Let me look first with you at three of the well-known cults. First is Christian science. What does Christian science teach? According to their own statement, it says the virgin mother conceived the idea of God and gave to her ideal the name Jesus. Jesus was the offspring of Mary's self-conscious communion with God. And uh, if you look at a lot of the teaching that's going on today in the church, you'll find that we have drawn that into the church. We have communion. We're going to empty our minds and have communion and fellowship with God because God's going to move in our lives. But back in the time of the Apostle John when he was writing, this was a common idea among the what is known as the Doetic Gnostics. They taught that Jesus really wasn't anybody real. He was just a figment of the imagination of the apostles. And so the Doetic uh, 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 Gnostics didn't believe that Jesus was a real person, that he was sent from God, that he was the Son of God. And, and we have that same idea in Christian science. And then there's Jehovah's Witness, and again, I quote directly from them. It says, Before our Lord came into the world, he was crea a created angel and was none other than the archangel Michael. I'm not sure if you knew that or not, but that's what the Jehovah's Witnesses teach. And if you go back in history in the time of John, there was a, a, a group of Gnostics called Serinthian Gnostics, and they believed that Jesus was just a created being. He was not God. He did not come into this world, but he was a created being. So you can see, all we've done in these cults is carried on the, under different names, the uh, uh, false teachings. And then the third cult I want to look at is Mormonism. Jesus was, they say, Jesus was the son of Adam God and Mary's union together. Then they asked the question, who is the father? He is the first of the human family. Now if you go back 
into studying the history in the early church, there were many people that believed in Jesus as a created being. He was someone who was created by God, and he diligently worked to make himself God and deity. And, uh, uh, of course, the great thing that they like to stress then is that that's good for us, you see, because we can work and make ourselves ourself as gods and deity, just like Jesus did. All we have to do is follow his example. So, you can understand why John then is writing his apostle to clarify and straighten out all these false teachings that were present then, and why we, as those who follow Jesus Christ, must not only believe, know, and understand, but teach these truths. It, it is incumbent upon us to do that. So that deals with the date of the writing. The second thing I like to look at is what I call the <clears throat> desire in his writing. What was his desire? What did he want to do? And the question is, how can we know that desire? How can we know what was John was feeling? And <clears throat> those of you who had the privilege of uh, sitting under Pastor Tony and uh, going through First John, as he pointed out, John is distinct from all the authors in that he tells you everything he wants to know, then he tells you why he know it, why you need to know it. He doesn't start off and saying, okay, I'm telling you this for this reason. He tells you everything, and then he tells you the reason he told you. And if you look at 1 John chapter 5 and verse 13, when he's almost to the end, of 1st John he says these things have I written to you who believe in the name or the character of the Son of God so that you who believe may know that you have eternal life and then when you get to uh, the Gospel of John if you turn to John chapter 20 and verse 31, now John only has one more chapter after this. He's finished writing his whole gospel. And here's what he says in John chapter 20 and verse 31. And just keep your finger there because we'll, uh, we'll be looking at that a little more closely uh, in a moment. Uh, it says, but these things have I written to you that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have eternal life in his name. So he tells us why he wrote. He wrote so that we will believe. Now, <clears throat> he is writing in 1 John to believers, and he is let me state this and then show you why. He is writing also to believers in the Gospel of John. And why do I say that? 
Well, if you look at the literal uh, statement here, notice what it says. It says, but these are written, and then there are two purpose clauses. He gives us two purposes why they are written. In order that you may believe. The verb tense here, and that's where I was talking about little getting a little bit technical, but the verb tense here has the idea that you may keep on believing. That you may keep on believing. These, he's writing to believers who were being inundated by false teaching and he wanted them to keep on believing. Don't let the false teaching affect you. Watch out. Watch out. And uh, he, in the, the, the second uh, 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 purpose, in the purpose clauses, it's that in order that believing, you might keep on having eternal life. In other words, whatever we believe affects our relationship with God. You can't say, I can believe whatever I want and be a believer. You have to believe what's in the book. If you don't believe what's in the book, you can't believe, be a believer. And so, he says, you have to just keep on believing. And don't let any outside teaching affect you. Now, uh, I want to remind you that one of the great things that Satan loves to do is to deceive. And he's the father of deception. He started right from the beginning, didn't he? I mean, Eve knew the truth, didn't she? And he came to her and said, Is that right? That's not the truth, is it? And he deceived her. Notice what Paul says in 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 through 15. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 through 15. He says, For it was Adam who was first created, and then Eve. And it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman, being deceived, fell into the transgression. That is, Satan deceived her. And she believed the deception of Satan, and she fell into the sin. Uh, let me just put a little parenthesis in here. Uh, gentlemen, you can't say that men are good believers and women aren't. If you look through the whole of Scripture, you'll find that men have more problems in believing than women do. As a matter of fact, in the Old Testament, uh, the uh, prophets make it very clear that even the priests and the leaders were deceived and didn't believe what God had to say. So, gentlemen, uh, we, we do have a problem, and... Christ makes it very clear in the New Testament to the Pharisees. He says, you've been deceived. You've been deceived. And 
the Pharisees weren't women, they were men. You see, so men can be deceived. So don't just look at the women and say, oh, we're okay, but they've got a problem. No, we've all got the same problem. And the deception is something that is important. If you turn to uh, Jeremiah chapter 9, verses 5 and 6, Jeremiah is speaking the word of the Lord to the people of Israel in Jeremiah chapter 9, verses 5 and 6. It says there, Everyone deceives his neighbor and does not speak the truth. I want you to catch that. Deception is telling a lie. Deception is telling a lie. Does not speak the truth. They have taught their tongues to speak lies. They weary themselves committing iniquity. You're dwelling in the midst of deceit. Through deceit, they, and this, catch this phrase, through deceit, they refuse to know me. Through deceit, they refuse to know me. And everybody who is a non-believer, if you are a non-believer here, it's because you have been deceived by Satan and he doesn't want you to know the Lord Jesus Christ. He wants to take you to hell with himself. And he makes that very clear that the deception is so that you will refuse God. And uh, I want you to notice that as you read through the New Testament, the New Testament uh, 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 writers were concerned about deception. If you look at Second John, the second epistle of John, verses 7 and 8, Second epistle of John, verses 7 and 8. He says, For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not, what? Acknowledge Jesus Christ. That's the great deception, you see. Who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. And that's important, the connection of the two there. This is the deceiver and the antichrist. That is one who stands against Christ. And then the first uh, words of the, the eighth verse, which in the original is really part of the seventh verse, he says, watch yourselves. Watch yourselves. Watch yourselves. There's a lot of deception around, so watch yourselves. Don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. And uh, as you look through Paul's epistles, you will see he was very much concerned about deception. Deception. In uh, 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 Ephesians chapter 4, verses 14 and 15, Ephesians 4, 14 and 15. He says, as a result, 
we are no longer children tossed to tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and by craftiness in deceitful scheming. See, Paul's warning, there's a lot of deceitful scheming going on out there and the denial of Christ and who he is. Be careful. Be careful. And then again in Romans chapter 16, verses 17 and 18. Romans 16, verses 17 and 18. He says, Now I urge you, brethren, keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances. How do they cause dissension and hindrances? He tells us, contrary to the teaching which you have learned. Contrary to the teaching which you have learned. And we, our teaching which we have learned is in the Word of God. See? And he says, they teach contrary to the teaching you have learned and turn away from them. For such men are, that is, we should turn away from them because such men are slaves, not of our Lord Jesus Christ, but of their own appetites. And then notice what he says. By smooth and flattering speech, deceive. By smooth and flattering speech, deceive. It really sounds good. And they make it sound good. You see? And he says, they go to deceive. And he de says, they deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting. Those who are not grounded in the word of God. So, we have all kinds of people with this kind of teaching in the church today. And I'm, I'm not talking about the cults now. I'm talking about what we used to call an evangelical church. They are teaching false things about the person of Jesus Christ. And we have to be careful because our media systems are inundated with these false teachers. And uh, it's important that we, as uh, John says, watch ourselves. Watch ourselves. Now, let's go back to that text in John 20, 31. I just want to point out a few things here. He says, that you may believe in who? Jesus. See, John is not denying the humanity of Christ in his gospel. What he is working on is the deity of Christ that has been denied. And so... He doesn't deal with the humanity of Christ because he's dealing with the deity of Christ. So, he tells us here in the text that uh, he is, we, we believe he is a man who lived on earth and he is the Messiah, the Christ, 
the Son of God. So we've got to believe all three things. We've got to believe that He was a man that lived on earth, a sinless, perfect man of God, that He was the Messiah, the one anointed one sent by God, and that He was, that He was the Son of God. That is, He was deity. He was deity. And that's important for us to understand. And uh, I want to underscore something as because I'm going to move into the text here in a moment in John chapter 1. But John, in the first three verses of chapter 1, is not specifically dealing with the deity of Christ. Many of you may have a uh, Bible that has a heading over the first five verses, the deity of Christ. And what John is really dealing with is the eternity or the, in the first three verses I'm saying, the eternity or the infinity of the person of Jesus Christ, which are two equal terms. And we will see that as we deal with the text in uh, uh, John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Now, you ask me, well, why do you say that? Why do you say he's not dealing with deity, he's dealing with eternity? The question is answered very simply. You can't have deity without eternity. What I mean by that? Deity doesn't come naturally. It comes because of who you are. Because Jesus was eternally God, he was deity. If he hadn't been eternally God, he would have never been deity. Okay, does that make sense? You see, so John starts out his gospel, and let's turn back to chapter 1. Proving the eternity of Jesus Christ in verses 1 through 3. And what I want to do is look at these verses and deal with them again very technically to see what they're saying so we can see that what he's trying to prove is the eternity of Jesus Christ. He always was what he was and is. He never, never ceased to be what he was and what he is. So, let's, let's begin and we'll go through this, these three verses verse by verse and word by word and phrase by phrase. So we'll deal with everything that it is. Let's look at the first verse, phrase I should say, in the first verse. Let's look at the first phrase in the first verse. It says, in the beginning was the word. Now, John starts off with a familiar phrase 
from Genesis 1.1. In the beginning. In the beginning. And uh, uh, most believers would understand what he's talking about when he's talking about in the beginning. He's talking about when everything began. And I want you to notice the article there. In the beginning. In the beginning. There was only there is only one beginning. And that's what he's talking about. There is only one beginning. And by the way, that word beginning in the original has the idea of commencement or before there was anything whatsoever. In other words, where the only thing that existed then was God. Nothing else whatsoever existed. And the second word I want you to notice here, he says, in the beginning was the word. That word was in, from the original comes from a root that means to be or to exist. And John uses a very interesting verb form here. He uses it mostly. Paul uses it the odd time, but you don't see it very often. And this verb form is referring to something that was constantly going on in the past. So what he was saying, he was continually existing always in the past. you get that? He, he always was continually existing in the past. And then as I studied, I had to ask myself the question, why does he use the word, word, instead of Christ or the Son of God? Why did he use the word, word? And I looked at the meaning of that word, word, or logos as we know it, and it means intelligent communication. Intelligent communication. It's not talking about just a word. The word logos means intelligent communication. And as we all know, and as we are all aware of, all the scripture is of God by the Holy Spirit. So it is truth. So in what sense then was Jesus the intelligent communication? In what sense was he the intelligent communication? Well, he was the intelligent communication in the sense, in the sense that he was God and therefore could communicate intelligently God. And that's why he uses the word, word. See, it's very vital and important in his use of words here. And so we could uh, translate that phrase then 
Before there was anything whatsoever, the intelligent communication of God always continued existing. See, he's trying to point out the eternity of Jesus Christ. He said, before there was anything else that ever existed in this world, before there was anything even created, Jesus was always existing. There was never a time that he was not existing. See, he's dealing with his eternity and his infinity. And of course, we'll see that out of the eternity, eternity and infinity comes the deity. And then the next phrase we see here was, and the word was with God. And the word was with God. And I just want to show you that little word with. The word with has the idea of near to or face to face with. It has the idea of someone who is in that proximity that they are in constant communication together. And so you could translate then again this next phrase. Also the intelligent communication of God always continued existing face-to-face -face or near with God. In other words, there was a union, fellowship, and bond between God and the Word. And then the third phrase, as we look at it here, and the Word was God. And let me just point out that this statement is vital in our understanding because it underscores the whole eternity of Jesus Christ. And John was very careful in what he said and the words he used. He was very careful. Notice he didn't say that he was a God. Because that would have meant there were many gods. And Jesus was just one of the gods. And despite what the Jehovah's Witnesses argue, he didn't put the article the in there. Because if he did, what would we have understood? That there is no trinity. There is just one God. You see? So he leaves out the article, the. And so what he tells us then is also the intelligent communication of God always continued existing God. What's his point? What's he trying to tell us? That there was never a time in eternity past or now where Jesus is not God. He always continually existed as God before ever anything was created. And if he was eternally what he was, 
Therefore, he was deity. You see? And if he wasn't eternally what he was, then he couldn't be deity. Even though many of our cults try to teach us that if he, he worked his way up to deity, uh, you don't work to deity. You are, I was going to say born, but that doesn't fit. Uh, because he was, he was part of the Godhead eternally, you see. And that's what gave him his deity. Then verse 2. It says, he was in the beginning with God. And uh, you can literally translate this. This one always continued existing when there was nothing whatsoever face to face with God. Or you can kind of reverse the word order there. and This one always continued existing face to face with God when there was nothing whatsoever. What is John doing? He's taking all he said in verse 1 and he is summarizing it in verse 2. He's telling us, he's telling us in verse 2 that Jesus was always continually, basically, God. He never ceased being God. He's establishing his eternity so he can establish his deity. Because eternity and deity are bound together. And uh, uh, verse 3. Let me give you a little translation. It says, all had come into existence through him. Also, apart from him, not even one had come into existence, which came into existence and exists. The verb tense indicates that it's something that happens in the past but continues to affect us all the time. And so, it's very important. Now, this statement again is proving the eternal existence of Jesus Christ by showing that he was the creator of all things. And I think this is vital and important. And uh, we must understand he existed always before anything was created because he created everything that's created. You see? And it's vital and important. Uh, let me just point out four things that we learn from this verse. And I think about our Lord Jesus Christ. First, as we connect it with the first phrase in the beginning and connect that with Genesis 1.1, we understand that Jesus is God the Creator. What does it say in Genesis 1.1? 1, 1? 
in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. Who was the one that spoke everything into existence? Jesus Christ. So, he was the God, the creator. And this is vital and important. Because as uh, being God eternally and the second member of the Godhead, he had full authority of creation from the Father. And that underscores that he is God the creator. Second, as God the creator, he had to always continually exist as God. Did you get that? He had, as the God the creator, he had always to continually exist as God or he couldn't have created. It was impossible for him to create. And so he is eternally God because he is creator. And that's vital for us. And he always existed as God. And third, he would not have been created because he was God the creator. Now, let me just say, all things exist because he created them and he could not create himself because we have seen very clearly that John says he always existed as God, so he couldn't have created himself as God and he couldn't create himself anyway. Because he wouldn't be God if he created himself. And so we see then that he was never, ever, ever, ever created. He always, 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 always existed God. That's what he was. And then the fourth thing. Everything that exists today exists by him. Everything that exists today exists by him. There is nothing that is in this world that exists that Christ has not created. And so, what we see, therefore, is that Christ's eternity is a necessity in our understanding so we can understand the deity of Christ. We cannot understand the deity of Christ without understanding his eternity. And so as we understand his eternity, we know that he is deity because only the eternal God is deity. And therefore, John makes it very clear in these first three verses that the reason 
for his writing this book, as he, we saw in, 20, in 2031, was so that we can understand the eternity and deity of Jesus Christ, who he is, the one we worship. And I think that sometimes, sometimes we tend to lose the picture of the majesty and the authority and the wonder of the person of Jesus Christ. And as we do, it diminishes our strength and our faith and our growth spiritually. And so it's mighty important. Now, let me just remind you if you're here today, and you're without Jesus Christ, you have no hope. You have no hope unless you believe that Jesus, the Son of God, was eternally God and that he was deity. If you set that aside, I'm sorry to say you're on your way to hell and you will suffer eternal punishment but if by the Spirit of God you understand and know that, you can know the joys of believing and eternal life. And for those of us who are believers, let me just encourage you to fix your eyes on the majesty of Jesus Christ. We looked at that in the first verse of Colossians chapter 3 that we are to continue seeking him who is above we must be seeking Christ the real Christ the biblical Christ the Christ that was revealed in his word and as we see him we will become like him and our lives will be changed and our lives will be changed otherwise Otherwise, we're going to be spiritual dwarfs, tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine that blows. And so we have to be sound and solid in the teaching of the Word of God and understand as you go through the Gospel of John and read it that you're reading the narrative that is proving the deity of Jesus Christ based on his eternity. And may God enrich our hearts in that as we move along. Let us pray together. Father, we just thank you so much that you have given us your word and revealed this truth to us and how important this is to us, not only in our first coming to you, but in our growing in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, help us to be people who are hungering and thirsting after the great truths of Jesus Christ and that we will search your scriptures and walk in the fullness of your grace and grow in the likeness of Jesus Christ to your glory, we pray. Amen.